Good morning, second time around. For those of you that are at Sunday school, it's great to be here. For those of you that joined for the morning service, Kathy and I are delighted to be here with you. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the way that you have been praying for us and sustaining us financially in the, in the work of the Lord over in Italy. And we are so thrilled, so grateful for what God has done. It hasn't been an easy journey, but he has really uh, encouraged our hearts and he is always able to do the impossible. And we are rejoicing. During the Sunday school hour, some uh, my little friend, I forget his first name, but he was asking what's the most exciting thing. And I told him, you know, every person has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the transformation that takes place. And each one is a story in itself. And we don't ever get tired of talking about that or getting teary-eyed about what God has done. And he is wonderful. Um, we feel like we're really in tune with you this morning with with the our audiovisual presentation was the theme was open doors and I'd like to go on with that theme here in the morning hour and it seems only appropriate here at Open Door Bible Church to talk about open doors and you should be quite aware of those open doors but we'll repass through some of these exciting things that God has done. Sometimes God can close a door because it's time to move on. And he knows he won't, we won't, unless circumstances force us to. A number of years ago, that happened to us. God closed the door only to open many, many other doors. And Alexander Graham Bell once said, When uh, one door closes, another door opens, but... We so often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we don't see the ones which open for us. I thought that's quite true, and I don't know whether he was a man of faith or not, but certainly there are implications there, um, spiritually speaking. And I think we can all thank God's for, God for closed doors because he... Re- thinks that that's the most important thing at that time, and also the open ones. I particularly think that it's interesting how it's expressed in Acts 14 when in it says that they were going back to the church at Antioch to give a report, Acts 14.27, and it said... And when they arrived, they gathered the church together and they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. We're, I want to share with you this morning how God has opened doors. The two scripture passages that we re- referred to in our audiovisual presentation, 1 Corinthians 16, and in essence, how God... Uh, made it possible for Paul to minister there. And he said, if the Lord permits, um, I'll be there to see you. But I I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, where a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. That emphasis there is, you know, 
obviously he's depending on the Lord's will. And I think many times I hear children of God that kind of kind of say things in a very determined manner as though it depends on their their determination rather than God's determination and God's will. And I think that's always risky territory. We need to realize our dependency on him and if he will permit. Um, And then he talks about a great and effectual door has been opened to him. God opens doors because he wants to have an effect on other people, the impact of the gospel. But at the same time, there are adversaries. And there are three various things that draw attention to his will, those opportunities that are abounding around us, and the adversaries. Are we going to focus on the open doors, or are we going to focus on the adversaries? And Satan would like to get us distracted with those adversaries. But that's obviously not what God wants. And in Revelation 3, I like the, the that whole passage, but it, it points out there that it's God that opens doors and he shuts doors. And that nobody can can mess with that. He will affect that which he desires, and he will operate in those who resist. Uh, he talks about the synagogue of Satan, and there are many who worship in that synagogue and that are impacted by Satan. And yet he can penetrate the most resistant walls uh, that are in the lives of, of human beings. And he also offers deliverance from the hour of trial, as is pointed out in, in that that particular passage. I... Um, I hope you're not frustrated this morning, but I would like to have a little different approach uh, to what we're going to be considering. It will be more of a panoramic uh, approach to uh, open doors through the, especially the book of Acts. And I have three, a three-pronged purpose here. One is to, to see open doors that Paul had in his ministry, uh, biblical examples of open doors, and then throw in some practical illustrations from Italy, how God has opened doors, but then also to not leave it at that, but also to have that boomerang come back and say, how does he want to stimulate each one of us or you to take advantage of those open doors? I think it's easy for us to kind of get in a very uh, laid-back, habitual approach to life and take life as it comes day after day. And we miss many prime opportunities, doors, open doors that are there, but we're kind of a little asleep or disattentive and we don't realize it and we let opportunities escape through our hands on a regular basis, unfortunately. We'll start with a passage in 2 Corinthians 11. And I don't think you're going to like this first point. I, if you're human, uh, we don't like it. Are you ready? To, you've got that figured out there? Okay. Open doors through Suffering. Have you ever analyzed in your own life that you have different options when suffering knocks at your door? 
Right? You can be mad about it, frustrated about it, or you might say, what is it that God wants to teach me? What is it that God wants to do through that suffering? Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, 23, says, Are they ministers of Christ? He's talking about others that are constantly creating problems. I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I have received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I've been in the deep. Journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils with my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, sleepless often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. In that listing, and I think any of us that could do a listing like Heap did, we'd be thinking, wow, what have I been through? And he concludes that his main concern was for all the churches. His concern was for others despite all that he had been through. I like that focus because often we're tempted to look at our own difficulties and think of how that has impacted our own life, but not see it through his perspective and what he wants to. Paul has the right attitude towards suffering, and he's going to grow through that suffering, that time of trial. In James 1, it says that the trial of our faith will produce steadfastness. So God has purposes even in that sense. But also that godly concern about those who are around us when we're going through those times. And we'll see that amply as we proceed on in the thoughts that I'd like to bring to your consideration this morning. I'd like to bring to you our experience, recent experience in October with COVID. And not a pleasant one. Our kids thought that they were going to lose us, and we weren't for sure. And when Kathy was taken first to the hospital, I wasn't for sure if I would see her again. There are a lot of horror stories out there, and people, even missionaries, that have died isolated from all their dear ones over in Italy. And I praise the Lord that he chose to keep that door open for us. And he preserved her. And it was a long story how through four different hospitals, we finally ended up in the same room together. But we realized that we were in that room for a purpose. That became a real sanctuary, a place of prayer, out loud, a time of sharing, encouraging, when we barely had the breath to continue on. And yet God used that time. It was neat, the opportunities that he gave. People coming into our room that looked like they from our outer space with all the garb that they had on. And yet their ears were still functioning and we were able to talk 
to a number of those people. Pray with even some of them. Invite them to visit our church. Giving testimony of things that had happened. Going back later to take calendars and and to give them our gratitude, express our gratitude. And we felt that we were there for a purpose. I still am hoping and trusting that God will bring at least one person to himself. You know, we never know. We put out the seed, and a lot of times we don't know. Later on, you can hear about something that you have no clue, I have no clue. So God wanted that time for distinct people to come in contact with a witness. And we're very convinced that that was not wasted time, and it was an important time. So suffering can be a time of witness, a time of opportunity, a door, an open door. And I'll tell you one thing. When you're going through a time of suffering, people note the context of what you're saying. Because in the in light of that suffering, your words take on a whole different dimension. And people can see that you are real or you're out of touch. That you're out of touch in that in the, if you're angry at God for permitting something, then then God can't use us if we're in the wrong spirit. So let's remember that often suffering can open up doors for us if we are willing to put aside our own feelings at that moment and our uncertainties and maybe even difficulty accepting what God has allowed. But he's going to use that. And Paul, even here, we have mentioned in prison, in shipwreck, and we're going to see that specifically mentioned later. Secondly, at the riverside, I think of that little spiritual down by the riverside, Paul, when he was at Philippi, there wasn't a place for him to go uh, to worship the Lord, but he had heard that there were some people there that prayed down there by the riverside. I like what I see in Paul, and I wish this were innate in all of us believers, that when it's the Lord's day that we want to be in fellowship with others. I know with COVID, a lot of times people have gotten scared off or gotten too comfortable just watching online. And, you know, there are times when we can't be present and praise God for the opportunity to watch online. But let's be sure that we don't get in that comfortable mode of not being with, together as the body of Christ. And even those of you who might be listening uh, th- to us right now, I'm not trying to discourage you from listening, but I, I think the ideal is for us to all be together and to be able to be encouraged by that. To, uh, when you're here, you can interact with people. People can even pray with you, and, and, and we can bear each other's burdens so much better when we're here in person. But that's what Paul desired. And he went there and he found this group of women. Now, just because people were there to pray doesn't necessarily mean they were born again. And that comes to light because when Paul is preaching, the Lord opens the heart of Lydia. And it's interesting because um, he, he is there to share And in that case, it could be to edify if there were believers, but also to evangelize. And in this case, God opened Lydia's heart. And it's it's very important to note that probably this was the beginning of the church of the Philippian believers, where we have the book of Philippians. And he was had the privilege of 
seeing that embryonic beginning of, of a local church there at the riverside. I think of different works that we've seen established in Italy, and they're all humble beginnings. And yet God can use those as open doors, and we can see him develop things that we would have never dreamed possible. We would have been happy at the beginning if we just seen a, a strong little Italian church. But God had so much more in store, so much more to, to show us as we proceeded on. I'm thinking of Adivane. It was a Brazilian girl. She came to Italy. She had an, she was an unwed mother and was coming to our church services. She had been in a shelter for uh, assaulted women and children. And that's where our Anwar's wife, Nela, had been working and she brought her to our services. And Adivane would come and it was kind of sad at times. She, she'd have these mini dress, mini skirts on, and it you just, you could tell she was desiring attraction, but it was the wrong kind of attraction. And yet in her heart, she had thought because years earlier as a young lady, she had gone forward and shaken a pastor's hand that she was, had, was a child of God. And finally after so, Long, Kathy and I made the time to go talk to her. And it took three hours as we talked with her, asked questions, and tried to perceive her situation. And it was just like it says here with Lydia. God opened her eyes and made her understand it wasn't enough to just shake a pastor's hand. And she realized she needed to come to repentance. She needed to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to become a new creature in Christ. And it was so so beautiful. And her life changed radically. Obviously, in her dress, we didn't even have to tell her God took care of that. And it's neat to see how she wants her little boy to come to know more about the Lord. And we know that God can take care of all the little side things. She has lots of problems. How to have, get a job. She's got a t- little boy to take care of. How can you have a job and a little boy? You don't have a car to transfer. A lot of problems. But you know, God can solve all these problems. And you try to help and work these things through with these people. Number three, I could go into a lot more details, and I, excuse me, I get emotional when I think of, of these transformations, but they're, they're really powerful. Number three, Paul, when he's in prison. This, this man of God had been used to free a demon-possessed girl, and because that meant that her, the people that were, uh, owned her were losing their sense of their, their resources, uh, the, what she would bring in in the way of money, and so they dragged Paul and Silas before the authorities. And they had been beaten many times, it says in Acts 16:23. But then they're put in the, the high security in the prison and fastened to stocks. In verse 25, it says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners are listening. You know, God was at work, and the building started to shake. 
boy, that, this morning, I felt some vibrations here as that storm front moved by. But I'll tell you, that's nothing compared to what happened that night. But I, I think we've all probably read through that passage, and I hope you've been impressed, the fact that they're, they're praying and singing when they could have, they're, certainly they were aching from all the physical assault that they had take, taken in. They had been beaten a lot. And yet they're in those uncomfortable stocks and can't even sleep if they wanted to, but they had a mission. They're sitting there singing and praying. And like I said, through this context of suffering, it has a whole different added dimension. And when the earthquake shakes that place and they had all their chains loose and that was a prime time to escape, right? Wrong. Doors of opportunity take all shapes and forms. And as they're they're saying what they're saying and praying and singing and it's impacting the prisoners, but it doesn't stop there. Paul sees the jailer ready to commit suicide because the Romans had no pity. It doesn't matter what the circumstances. If you leave, let your prisoners out. It's your life for theirs. And that guy knew it. He says, I'm not going to face that. They'll, they'll, it will be hell for me if they take me and they torment me. I'm going to finish it. And Paul, who could have said, ha, 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 ha. This is what you deserve. You mistreated me and you put me here. Ha ha. That's what you deserve. No. When he sees that the guy's ready to commit suicide, he yells out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Trust God. He has a tremendous opportunity. The guy comes in and he says, what did I need to do to be saved? And Paul's ready to jump on that opportunity. To share the gospel with him. And that man and his whole family come to know the Lord. They have a baptismal service that night. Have you ever had baptismal service at midnight? That must have been really dynamic. And they're there rejoicing in, in the presence of God. And I always get a sense of God's humor in verse 27. And the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep and seeing the doors, the prison doors open. Now, that wasn't the kind of open doors I was thinking in this theme. But, you know, it even took those open doors to put that jailer in circumstances that he was ready to do business with God. And that's another point that I see is, do you ever realize that sometimes the difficulties that God allows in other people's lives is an opportunity for you to be able to, to be there as God's messenger. Now, that doesn't mean to be there to preach them a, a, a message and hit them between the eyes. I told you so. No, it's there to be in humble, loving support to them and show them God's grace and love and, and the need of repentance, but that he is the remedy for their sinful condition. And those open doors, ready... Paul doesn't have to fumble through his Bible. Now, what verses do I share with this guy? He's there immediately when he says 
what do I do to be saved? And, and he immediately says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And they spoke the word of God to him and all who were in his home in that very same hour in the midst of it. And they washed their stripes and immediately he fell. Uh, he and all of his family uh, were baptized. Um, amazing the change. And he feeds them and t- takes care of their wounds and so forth. Godly response to persecution was what I see in this. Godly influence on people surrounding us. Godly concern for our enemies and distraught, distraught people. And godly response to the, of, of the jailer and his family because of that whole context of how things happen. And an illustration of that is one day Kathy and I were traveling... We had parked our bus at Mestre, but you have to go to Venice on Long Island. And as we were on the bus going by, Kathy saw this lady on the, the precipice of this high bridge that there was probably a, about a 10 meter uh, thing. And she was just like this. And Kathy said, I think she's trying to commit suicide. I looked up immediately. I knew I needed to get off that, that bus as soon as possible. I yelled out. Please stop the bus. And usually bus drivers never listen to the thing. They have to respect the pre-established bus stops. I don't know if it was the sound of my voice or what, but he actually stopped. One other guy jumped off before me, and he went running to the lady. I, I was trying to go slow to not scare her, or to, but he was too ambitious. So she went ahead and jumped. And he jumped in after her. Interesting. And he helped her get out of the water down below because God spared her. And as I had to go way down around the ramp and come back in. And by that time, I was without a breath. But anyway, I was able to say, I'm a missionary. I would love to tell you that God, I knew that there was something in her life, obviously, that pushed her to do that. And I knew that she needed to know the gospel. But Obviously, there are other people. I couldn't say too much, but she knew I identified who I was. After we had done the Filipino meeting, I said, Kathy, I think we ought to go to the hospital and see if we can find this girl. And um, we went to the um, emergency room, and we talked. And of all things, the Lord gave us a Buddhist nurse. And I thought, oh, wow. And I, I explained, I would like to talk to this lady. She is very needy. And she says, no, you can't. It has to be her to, to ask for you. And I said, well, can I at least give my name and telephone number and you give this slip to her so that if she would like to, she has a way to communicate with me? She said, oh, yeah, I can do that. So it's in God's hands, a slip of paper in a Buddhist nun's hands. And we left. We prayed, God, somehow, make this work. It didn't happen immediately, but one week later, I received a phone call, and it was this gal. Unfortunately, though, she was down at Bologna by this time, two hours to the south of us. I called the missionary, and he sent his wife to go visit her, and this lady received Jesus Christ as Savior. That's a God thing. Lots of little details, but God orchestrated it all. And it all began with my wife, who had sensitive eyes and saw a person in need. What's my point? All of us have people that are suffering around us. Do we have 
eyes and sensitivity to those people in need so that at that moment, that prime opportunity, we can take advantage of that open door and, and be God's instrument. It might not all fit this particular... We have another young lady in our group, Melody, that tried to t- take her life. This was before she knew the Lord. She had had pregnancy. She had done an abortion to try to save her boyfriend, and he abandoned her the same. So she cut her wrist, and it, it was done for her. And that's where her Filipino friend, Erika, talked to her about the Lord. She came to know the Lord. She is one of the ones of the graduates that finished the, the Bible school program. She is so on fire for the Lord. She has reached out to so many. She has a, a love for children. Of course, she had two abortions before she ever knew the Lord. And that, that's obviously heavy on her heart. And many times she's in tears thinking about those little lives. But she has a love for children. And anytime there's things going on, Melody's there ready to serve the Lord. And she's um, going up to Hungary to go on in Word of Life in the Bible College up there too to, to get more. She's been on a trip uh, um, with Ethnos uh, to try to see if the Lord wants her to go into missions. It's exciting to see how God is helping people when they were like that jailer and ready to take their life, and yet God had other plans, and I think it's so exciting. Also, I see Paul at Athens. In Athens, in in chapter 17, uh, Acts 17, I see some exciting things there. Um, You know, he, he went to Athens and... Do you ever go as a tourist at places and you just kind of soak in? We have a number of tourists that come to Italy. And I'm often disappointed because the tourists only talk about the beautiful art and architecture and other things. But they don't see with spiritual eyes what a lot of that art demonstrates paul when in verse 16 he says now when paul waited for them his work co-workers at athens his spirit was provoked within him and he saw that the city was given over to idols therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the jews with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those that happened to be there, and later in the Areopagus. I am impressed in a number of ways, because Athens is like post-Christian Europe, maybe post-Christian America. And he goes around and he sees even among all the idols, the idol to the unknown God. And he is off, he's there to express his concern that you obviously are very religious people, and I see that you even worship the unknown God, and I'd like to tell you about that unknown God. This guy, this guy, missionary spokesman, statesman, Paul that can relate in a synagogue, he can relate in the marketplace, he can relate to the philosophers of that time. Amazing how he, first of all, was greatly disturbed by the idolatry. He was an avid and flexible communicator 
to the Jews, Gentiles, and uh, general people of the street, but also the philosophers. He was very informed culturally, too, about what they think, their sculptures, their poets, their altars, and so forth. But he was also very well prepared to transition into an evangelistic presentation in whatever opportunity the Lord put before him. I like that. That's what I want to be as a missionary. I want to be able to be flexible so that whatever opportunities the Lord puts before me, I can take advantage of that. But you know, all of us, if nothing else, if you are a born-again believer, you have your personal testimony as a a tool in your, your toolbox that God can use for an evangelistic thrust. And, and witness to people. I think of Paolo and Luciana that it took around 30 years to share with them. And their lives were full of idolatry before. They were devoted to the Madonna and many other Catholic traditions. I took a calendar to them. We have a sample back there at our display of a 365 sheets with a verse in big on one side and a meditation on the back. Every time I took the calendar, I had beautiful conversations with them. And I thought, man, it won't take long these people come around. It took a long time. But to see them both get be baptized after they trusted the Lord, baptized after they were over 70 years old, and wondering why it took them so long to come across. But idolatry has its grip on people. And a lot of times it takes time for people to get it all sorted out. Many times they are observing us to see how it's fleshed out. And yet we need to be there to faithfully plant the word of God, cultivate it, water it, de weed it and be there and if God so desires he he will bring forth fruit in due season and we've seen that often I think they get the prize though for the longest unless it's my grandfather it's almost 40 years for him to respond but he did respond to my um, to the gospel before he died number five I see Paul before the uh, governor uh, Felix, and there again, um, he is faced with this Tertullius, who is a really well, uh, uh, an orator who was very polished in his his uh, speech, and this guy is very, very, very. Uh, oh, what I, can I say? Uh, polished in the way that he says things against Paul. And he says, we found this man, in reference to Paul, a plague. He's a creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the whole world. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He's tried to profane the temple. And he's really painting the picture with all sorts of accusations. Of course, they're all spins. They're false. And yet can be so convincing to the uninformed person. Paul, in his 
response to this. I think all of us probably have been in situations where we are falsely accused. Have you ever thought that the Lord wants to use that as an opportunity, an open door, even when we're in very negative circumstances? Paul doesn't stoop to his accuser's actions, the adulation and the false accusations. He does deny those accusations. And he goes ahead to share his personal faith with Felix and his wife Drusilla. I think it's important to notice in verse 25 that Paul doesn't neglect to evidence the importance of righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And that is what God used to stir his heart and to fear. Another illustration from Italy is our uh, Islato, his brother, who's tall and huge. Um, I've witnessed to him when he was a teenager, and he was he he's my friend. And yet, when it came down to it, he would never turn his life over to Jesus Christ. His brother Derek had, and the obvious blessings of the Lord has been on Derek's life, I mean, on Sato's life. But I think the cost was too much for for Derek until he came down with leukemia. And when he came down with leukemia, he contacted me and says, Franco, I want you to pray for me. I've got leukemia. What am I thinking? I'm thinking this is divine appointment. This is God that is using this in a loving way to speak to his heart. And Derek, it's what it took to finally open his life to the gospel. And like the governor Felix, who was fearful, Derek was fearful because he knew he had turned down the Lord many times. He knew he had had many opportunities. He knew I was praying for his salvation even after years of the first time that I shared the gospel with him. But Derek came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and his life was transformed. He wants to wait till I get back to be baptized. I wish he'd go ahead and get baptized. He doesn't have to wait for me. But there is a special relationship there. And I was one of the first that he wanted me to know that finally he had become a born-again believer. God is blessing him. He's already had five kids, and they're expecting their sixth. And, um, you know, they realize that these children are a gift from the Lord, and they're trying to raise them in the ways of the Lord. His wife had already professed Christ before, and so she was delighted when he came to know the Lord. But... Let us not get weary in our testimony to people. We can't know the time of the Lord in their conversion. I'd like to move on to also his appearance before King Agrippa in Acts 25. And there are many things there that uh, he shares his personal testimony again with Agrippa. I noticed that when... um, In this whole situation, and I won't go into detail, 
the things that I gather, because it's actually more than a chapter uh, of, of, of narration about this time, he gives his personal testimony to Agrippa and the others that are present there before him. But he also stands up there before Agrippa without fear. I think there's a lot to be said about when we witness that we should not be fearful. It doesn't matter who we have before us. God has put us there and he wants us to know that he will not abandon us or forsake us. Even in those hours of great need, you will never let me go. You'll be there. You will help me in those situations. And Paul explains to him, verses 4 to 11, the radical changes that took place in his own life. And Paul shares with him how he saw that bright light and heard a voice and received his call to be a minister, verses 12 to 18. And then he tells how he was obedient to that call, 19 through 20. And then he mentions how Christ would suffer, die, and rise again. And to proclaim that light from verse 21 to 23, he gets down to the fact of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and that he is there to proclaim that light. I think it's important that when we share the gospel, that we share it in, in its entirety and not try to, you know, go soft on things. Paul was very true to give the true, a full gospel to them. And Paul asked Agrippa, if he now believes, and Agrippa said, I'm almost persuaded. It's sad, but we still have a list of people that are almost persuaded. Uh, Donatella, we have, I mentioned a Ukraine lady who came to know the Lord. She was actually a domestic help for the aging parents of, uh, of, of Donatella. Donatella had come to a number of meetings, and she said that now that when she had this uh, uh, Antonia, uh, she said she was going to bring her to a, a meeting. Well, Donatella never accepted the Lord, but this Ukraine lady came, and she would listen to Kathy in the Bible studies. She would be there with tears in her eyes. She didn't always understand, but Kathy went and did a personal Bible study, and, and she said, okay, I want to do it personal on one, because you can have your Ukrainian Bible in your hand, and I will have mine, and we'll go. And when she understood the gospel that way, she came to the Lord. Donatella is still almost persuaded. Donatella has been, I don't know how many people she's invited to our evangelistic events. She's come to concerts. She loves everything that we do, she and her husband, and yet almost persuaded. We don't give up. And yet, through Donatella, others have come to know the Lord. So maybe one of these times you'll get a prayer letter that Donatella came to know the Lord. We keep hoping and praying. Number seven, Paul during the shipwreck. And there again, I see a whole number of situ- situations here. Um, Paul, in verse 10, says, we're in Acts 27, uh, he says, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, and not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the t- helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. How many times does that happen in life? People that we try to witness to, they give more credence to other people. It can be even professional people, a doctor, a lawyer, other, a teacher, a professor, or whatever. And yet, they don't want to come to, to, to terms with the Lord. And they're, they allow themselves to be more persuaded. Paul 
at this point could have said, okay, and I'll use an Italian gesture. I could care less about you. You didn't listen to me, so take care of yourself. And as the situation evolved and things turned out just to be the way that he said, then in verse 20, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. That is key. It's that point in people's lives when hope is given up. They come to the end of their rope. They come to situations that they're blocked and they run their heads against the wall and they can't go forward. Are we ready? Do we see that prime time? Do we have God's spirit to discern what needs to be said and done in that particular moment? And as he is in fellowship with his his Lord is made known to him. He says, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as he's told me. Do we have that kind of confidence? Do we express that to others? That what God's word says about the future, we can have complete confidence and it will be just as he has told us. We need to communicate that so that people see the, the necessity of taking God at what his word. And the sailors were ready to kind of get the escape boat and get out of there. And he said, no, no, everybody's got to stay on board. And then as, as it comes out, they stay on there. And then he says, you got to all eat. And he says a prayer. And then all of them are saved. What do I observe here? God gives Paul good advice to give to the centurion. Paul had an encouraging message of hope when all hope had been lost. He states he believes in God. His words were heeded. Sailors trying to escape, but they stay and they eat the food. He thanks God among all those probably close to 300 people, 276 prisoners, but then the the crew as well. And he earned, finally, the centurion's respect, who helped save his life. And he was given a certain amount of liberty. There are lots of illustrations, but my time is out. Are we prepared for doors of opportunity? I can tell you with certainty that we need to be prepared, and Paul was prepared. How do we do that? By walking in fellowship with God. If we're not walking in fellowship with God, we're not going to be uh, seeing those doors. Secondly, we also need to be meditating on his word. Paul had something fresh from the word of God in all these circumstances to give to the people. And thirdly, he had a heart that was sensitive to those around him. He had the love of God moving through him. And the situations he knew when it was prime time to, to move for the, forward for the Lord.
I think that kindness is a big key to unlocking doors that have been closed for a long time. I think God wants us to be looking out. We uh, Many times those doors are open to us because of pre-established relationships with people. Many times in Italy, and usually, we have to have a personal friendship with Italians or other nationalities before we have the spiritual opportunities. And that means an investment of time and energy and doing things that, that will sensitize their hearts. And that is a big door for unlocking the door. Be kind, pleasant, favorable to someone who needs it. Open doors is when all things seem impossible, but God will do the impossible. I'd like to quote for some of you that are from the farming background. Thomas Edison said, most people miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. Uh, We need to make sure that we're not scared to, because most open doors require pulling up our shirt sleeves, sweating and praying and, and being God's instruments. There's many other things, but at any rate, I just want to say in our sense of how God w- worked, we had no clue that from in the Italian work, it would grow the way it did. We didn't have any idea that from one little Filipino lady that it would become a Filipino church. We didn't ha- realize that from one gypsy family reaching Slato that he would become the pastor and there would be a gypsy church. The same way with uh, uh, the uh, Arabic ministry, God brought us a young man and through that, the Arabic ministry, the f- church at Castelfranco was initially the, the cousin of a uh, a terrorist in Italy, and and he became a, a pastor, and we witnessed to them. And now there is a church plant in their home. The people that we led to the Lord at Formigini when we were working back to the Bible, they went down south when they retired to start a church, and now they have a beautiful ministry out to church, children and so forth. The pot of a group, the homeless, God is at work, and each time he has done so much more than we could have ever established and even now with buildings for the italian church the gypsy church the filipino church the the bible courses and the people that were able to um, learn the bible are going online and and getting set up for this god has done exceedingly abundantly above all that we could have asked or thought open doors open doors for us in italy but also open doors for you open doors for paul God wants to build his church, and the gates of hell won't prevail. But are we indifferent? Are we lazy? Are we caught up in our own <clears throat> our own endeavors? Or do we have a heart that is walking in fellowship with God and seeking those opportunities? May God help each one of us to do and take advantage of those open doors, and to him be the glory and honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the many open doors that you put before us. Thank you that you are able to do the impossible. And I thank you that you are doing the impossible. And I thank you that you want to encourage us and you want to um, do great and mighty things and bring glory and honor to yourself. So I pray that all of us would be challenged. And this would not just be something that uh, that maybe we would want to see from our missionaries on the foreign field, but that we can all be sensitive to those doors that are about us. And that a year from now, we can say, hey, you brought this open door before me, and now we're rejoicing because of the fruit that 
took place because of that open door that we were obedient to, to, to take advantage of. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.